Welcome to Tuesday, the 19th of May. This is The Briefing. I'm Tom Tilley, and today I'm joined by Annika Smithhurst, and we're going to take a deep dive on vaping, Annika. A lot of people I know do it. A lot of friends have found it really beneficial in terms of quitting, but it's still illegal to nicotine vape in Australia. Yeah, we're going to find out why in just a moment. Before that, let's find out what else is going on. A massive win for Team Australia on the global stage overnight. China has caved into pressure and agreed to an independent inquiry into the origins of the coronavirus, with more than 120 other countries backing our move. All along, we have acted with openness, transparency and responsibility. We have provided the information to the WHO and the relevant countries in the most timely fashion. That was the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, speaking at the World Health Organization's World Health Assembly through a translator overnight. Uh, This is a big move because Chinese officials had been threatening trade sanctions on Australia and other Western countries believed to be in retaliation for our calls for that independent inquiry. Now, look, they did support the motion overnight, but Aussie farmers will still pay the price for this trade stoush. China followed through with plans to slap a huge 80% tariff on Aussie barley, threatening to kill off our exports there. Yeah, bad news for our farmers there, particularly in WA. In supporting that motion, China also pledged billions of dollars to support a global COVID-19 response. They vowed to make a vaccine available globally if they're first to make one and pledged to improve standards at wildlife wet markets like the one where the virus is believed to have started. So all in all, seems like a pretty good outcome, Annika. Yeah, they, Australia seem to get what they want. Look, there's a little bit of criticism about um, perhaps this not going far enough. Liberal Senator Conchetta Ferravanti-Wells is among a number of people saying that, well, this motion doesn't even mention the name China and perhaps mm. it's watered down from what was really promised, but still a win for Australia on the global stage. And we can't go overseas yet for a holiday and we might not even be able to head interstate for a while yet with some states and territories refusing to open their borders. Yeah, Queensland say their borders could stay shut till September. That's four months away, despite Deputy Chief Medical Officer Paul Kelly confirming health officials never told states and territory leaders in the National Cabinet to shut their borders in the first place. At the national level, we've never said that, uh, we've never suggested that internal borders in Australia should be closed. It's been a decision by various states and it will be their decision as to when to open them. Queensland, Western Australia, South Australia, Tasmania and the Northern Territory all shut their borders at the height of the crisis and are yet to reopen them yet. New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian is pretty keen to get them open. I don't agree with the decision. I think closing borders doesn't help Australia, it doesn't help any of the states and it doesn't help our population, it doesn't help economic activity. Yeah, state on state there. But in other coronavirus news, deep cleaning is underway at 12 McDonald's stores across Melbourne after a delivery driver with no symptoms tested positive. The Faulkner Maccas, north of the city where this all started, has now been linked to 12 cases of the coronavirus. Yeah, this situation with the the Melbourne Maccas seems like uh, the sort of thing we're going to keep seeing over the next few weeks and months, Annika, where there's a small outbreak Um, They respond pretty quickly in in locking it down, which they seem to have here, and we're able to get on without a massive uh, outbreak like a Ruby Princess. Yeah, I think that's the plan going to, you know, into fruition there. It's trace where it is, lock it down so everybody else can get on their lives, but we stop a certain spread. So we're going to see more of this. AFL players have been warned against playing the field with the league bringing in a bonk ban. The season's set to restart on June 11 and under its official guidelines, players are only allowed to visit a person they're in an intimate relationship with. 
They've been told they face some pretty stiff penalties if they get COVID-19 from a casual hookup. I'm interested to know how they define that. Yeah, when pressed on this by News Corp papers, the AFL says it won't ban one-night stands. It just isn't exactly in favour of them. And a series of hookups will be really out of the question. Yeah, that doesn't seem to make much sense. You're not banned from having one-night stands, which means you could be uh, having very intimate contact with a, a range of people, but doesn't want a series of hookups where you might be having that series of hookups with one person. It's interesting. I had a little look into this and apparently the grading system is going to be, is it intentional, reckless and careless? So if it fits those categories, then that's out. Scammers are using the lockdown to fleece lonely would-be pet owners out of thousands of dollars um, with puppy scams five times higher than average in April compared to last year and nearly $300,000 lost this year. Yeah, the competition watchdog, the ACCC, says con artists are selling pets, getting deposits, then saying to would-be owners they can't visit them because of health concerns about the coronavirus. And also using the pandemic as an excuse if anyone wants to ask for uh, to visit the dogs. Um, and then they get some more money out of people saying they need coronavirus treatments, which is interesting considering most dogs can't get the coronavirus, Tom. Yeah, according to the ACCC, they're usually advertising designer dogs like like Cavoodles or French Bulldogs through a fake email address and then they stop replying once they've got their hands on the cash. Yeah, so if you're thinking of getting a dog, get some advice and make sure you get to visit the dog before you put any money down. Annika, you've got a dog. How helpful has it been during the lockdown? Would not have coped without him. I have a one-year-old Dalmatian and it's been a godsend during this. But I also think it's a great time to actually get a dog because you forget when you first get them, they're really like babies and you need to be home all the time to look after them. So I wouldn't advise against getting the dog. Just make sure you're getting an actual dog, not a fake dog. <laughs> yeah, well, lots of people have been um, getting pets during this time. So I guess the concern is that they look after them once they get really busy and they aren't in lockdown anymore. Yeah, I think that will be the problem. It's like that Christmas puppy, isn't it? That uh, you've got to, it's not just for Christmas, it's for all the time. All right, let's talk vaping. You are listening to The Briefing and right now we're going to brief you on the vaping debate. If nicotine vaping helps people quit smoking, then why is it illegal here in Australia? We're going to explain the key arguments and find out why Australia is taking a tougher stance than any other Western countries. First, I want you to listen to Chris's experience. He was smoking 20 ciggies a day for 12 years. When the price of cigarettes just went sky high, that started putting me off because I'm like, this is just costing way too much. Slowly as time went on too, because of the where you could actually light up a cigarette as well, it was becoming more difficult to just be able to have one. So, And then with the vaping came in and plus my partner that doesn't smoke. So she was happy too because I didn't smell like an ashtray anymore. With vaping, I know that there's no tar in it. Yeah, there's obviously a couple of bad chemicals, but then I also think, well, you know, I've met non-smokers who've got lung cancer. I mean, obviously, it's a worry that there's something going in my lungs, but I think it's so much better than cigarettes. It's not funny. Like, I don't get shortness of breath and things like that anymore. Or So I think it's a better option. So that was Chris, and his story... And the story of so many other people really begs the question why nicotine vaping is illegal here in Australia. Annika Smethurst is here with you. And Annika, you've been writing stories about this for years. Why is it such a divisive issue still here in Australia? Look, I found it something really interesting to get into because I, like a lot of Australians, know many people who have managed to quit or cut down their smoking habit because of vaping. But 
Both the major parties in Australia aren't so keen to approve this. And as you say, we're the only Western democracy that has it banned, has nicotine vaping banned. So going into the last election, the Liberal Party said they wouldn't uh, lift that ban if they won and Labor agreed. So there's been really no movement in Australia on uh, allowing people to use this, despite in other countries like the UK, doctors recommending it as a way to quit smoking. Okay, but you do see lots of people. And as you said, you know, lots of people that do it here. So what, what is illegal and what isn't illegal at the moment? How does it work? Look, some of the people I know, and I don't want to go on the record and say who they are, uh, manage to import it through different ways, because as we said, you can buy it overseas. It does seem that here there is a difference between um, the nicotine vaping as opposed to some of the more um, flavoured ones. You can get lolly flavoured ones and fruit flavoured ones. But the nicotine one is the sort of the effective method. Um, A lot of health experts actually say that it's more effective than patches or gum in giving up uh, quitting. But that's the sticking point. That's the one that isn't actually legal for Australians that want to try that as a way to reduce their smoking. So why do you think the Australian government's taken this position? Look, I guess vaping's a really new product relatively. We all know that smoking is bad. We all know that smoking kills. Uh, a lot of the research around vaping um, is new and I don't think any government want to be the government that allow this to be a way that Australians smoke if it turns out in years to come, like with cigarettes, they actually do have a huge risk. But look, there are still more than 2.5 million Australian smokers, people that smoke every day. We know that does harm. So I just find it a little inconsistent that uh, we still allow that to happen and, and they're taxed heavily and the government are still making a significant amount of cash from that. But they won't even look at, I guess, lifting the ban on uh, vaping. Yeah, it does seem like a strange position. And I I think we'll cover this in a lot more detail in the months to come because this debate won't go away whilst people are quitting smoking through vaping, but it's still illegal in Australia. There does seem to be a disconnect there. So today, let's speak to one of the the leading experts who's a proponent of nicotine vaping. Uh, His name is Professor Colin Mendelson. He's the chairman of an organisation called Tobacco Harm Reduction. Dr Mendelson, thanks for joining us. What does the research say? Is vaping safer than smoking? Absolutely. Um, I think there's overwhelming scientific agreement that it's, it's far less harmful than smoking. The Royal College of Physicians in the UK reviewed the evidence and they concluded that long-term health risk is unlikely to be more than 5% of the harm from smoking tobacco. That's good evidence, you know, that would a lot of people would be happy to hear that. So we know that it's less harmful, but is there actually evidence that it also helps you quit smoking? Absolutely. Well, it's probably the most effective quitting aid we have. There was a, a recent randomised control trial that found it was twice as effective as nicotine replacement therapy, which is kind of the gold standard that we use. And it's the most popular quitting method as well, which is really important because it's reaching large numbers of the um, smoking population and having an important effect on on public health because of that. So you're saying it's 5% as harmful as smoking. You say it's twice as effective as nicotine patches in helping people quit smoking. Mm -hmm. So why isn't it legal here in Australia? Well, that's a very good question. Australia is the only Western democracy to ban the sale and use of nicotine. So in New Zealand and the UK, the governments actively promote vaping. And in countries where it's available, smoking, like the UK and the US, smoking rates are falling faster than ever. You know, we think smokers should be given every possible chance to quit. And we're making it harder for them to vape in Australia. 
And why that is, is not about the evidence. The evidence is clear cut, but in Australia, there are all sorts of political issues, ideological issues, moral issues. People just shouldn't use drugs. There's the huge tobacco excise that we charge. There's all these other factors complicating the debate. But the evidence about vaping, I think, is fairly clear. It's growing stronger. And in fact, three major medical colleges in Australia have recently supported vaping as a as a, as a way to quit for smokers who can't quit with other methods. And look, there's been a lot of suspicion around vaping because the tobacco industry in, is involved, but also a recent spate of deaths in the US. And mm. I know you were quite concerned about some of the health advice Australia was offering after those deaths. Mm. Can you tell us about what happened there? Yeah, look, there's a lot of confusion about this outbreak of lung disease in the US. So there were people who were smoking, mostly young people who got serious lung problems. And Originally, of course, that needed to be uh, investigated, and but it was found quite conclusively that almost all of those cases, if not all, was caught were caused by black market THC or cannabis oils, which were contaminated with vitamin E acetate, so and purchased from street vendors. So these were very dodgy products. Not a single case has been linked to nicotine vaping. A lot of people who are opposed to vaping have been confusing that, I think in some cases deliberately. Nicotine vaping is not the cause of that. And there's been only a handful of serious harms from nicotine vaping over the last 15 years and not one death. Yeah. And there seems to be a bit of confusion about um, flavoured vaping and nicotine vaping. Here's what Donald Trump said around the time of those deaths in the US. Vaping has become a very big business, as I understand it, like a giant business in a very short period of time. But we can't allow people to get sick and we can't have our youth be so affected. People are dying with vaping. So we're looking at it very closely. So he, he was focusing on flavoured products and, and young people. Um, Greg Hunt, our health minister, has also raised that concern. Non-nicotine, flavoured, vaping and e-cigarettes. There's a deep concern that these are both an on-ramp for young people to smoking and that they are also potentially dangerous to young people directly. So they sound like very valid concerns that these products might entice young people through flavoured products. What is the situation there and how do those products differ from nicotine products? The flavoured products refer generally to flavoured nicotine products. Right. And there's a lot of misinformation about that. The main reason young people vape are curiosity and because their friends are vaping. They like the flavours, but they're not the main reasons they vape. Flavours play an important role for adults uh, to um, make vaping attractive and to prevent relapse. The solution is not to ban flavours, but to restrict youth access. And Colin, we touched on it briefly before, but the tobacco industry... Uh, is heavily involved in in marketing some vaping products. Obviously, that makes people suspicious. What is the real situation there? How do you sift through, I guess, the the concerns around the, the motives of the tobacco industry in this space? Look, I think the important thing is that the tobacco industry has come very late to this party. Um, the, the vaping was developed by consumers. After about nine years, the tobacco industry realised this was a very a huge and disruptive threat to their industry and they could see a Kodak moment coming. So naturally they got involved and, and bought up some companies and tried to uh, get their share of the market. But they don't control the industry. About one in five vaping products globally are made by Big Tobacco. You know, they're in there because they have to be, not because they want to be. They make a lot more money from smoking. 
really, it doesn't matter to me who makes these products. The important thing is that people quit smoking. And I think I'd much rather that tobacco industry made safer alternatives than lethal cigarettes, which is what they would otherwise be doing. Now, Colin, one last question. Although it is banned here in Australia, there has been a little bit of movement. We know that internally Greg Hunt's getting a little bit of pressure from some of his colleagues and he has asked for a review of this. What are we expecting from that review? Is it likely that that might actually lift the ban? I think as long as there's no political interference, then we have a chance that the evidence will come forward. Unfortunately, most decisions about vaping in Australia are made uh, with political and ideological and moral considerations rather than in the interests of public health. I'm hopeful, but um, I guess we have to wait and see. Uh, I think if they look just at the evidence, it's fairly clear cut and we will end up following other Western countries, but hopefully sooner rather than later. Colin, great to hear your insights on this topic. Thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Annika. That review sounds quite interesting. That that might be the start of a, a change in approach for the government, depending what it says. What do we know about it? When will it report back? Yeah, look, and the reason it came about is interesting too. There was a lot of backbenchers who are, of course, allowed to take their own positions on things, really pushing for a change of policy, uh, perhaps from the same reasons we think it's a bit unusual because we really are the outlying country on this. So, look, it's got another year to run. I don't know if coronavirus has actually pushed back that review, but it means there might be some uh, facts going to the government, some evidence there, which, as Colin says, removes sort of the politics and moral thoughts about whether people should actually be smoking altogether. All right, we'll keep a keen eye on this space. If, if anything new comes up, we'll tell you about it on the briefing. Annika, thank you so much for that. Such a fascinating story. Tomorrow on The Briefing, the 5G conspiracy theory. Why have these theories gotten so much traction? And are there any real risks? That's tomorrow on The Briefing. Look forward to speaking to you then. A Podcast One production.